You are from the asylum, aren't you? Aren't you? Y yes, but I... I'm all right, really. Well, if you have given them the slip, I wouldn't stay here. She's gone straight to the phone. She's telling them to come for you. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week, we are finishing the 1942 nominees with Random Harvest, starring Ronald Coleman and Greer Garson. And it was not a horror movie about demonically animated scarecrows that eviscerate teenagers who have premarital sex. Nope. Despite the name. Yeah. And in fact, basically everything in this movie is despite the name, because there's fucking no reason this movie is called Random Harvest. Harvest, no. The random part is apparently the name of Ronald Coleman's estate. Right. Which is an utterly random name for it. Yeah, and also is never even spoken aloud. It's just that it's on a sign outside. Yeah, and like, to give you the plot summary of this movie, which will be incredibly fast, Ronald Coleman plays a guy who has lost his memory in World War I, and on the night of uh, victory being declared for World War I, everyone at his insane asylum just leaves the gates open and wanders away to celebrate. And so he wanders into a nearby town where he finds, God, who is our female lead in this? Greer Garson. Greer Garson, who, as one does, immediately falls in love with the stammering, obviously escaped inmate from an insane asylum. Who can barely speak or communicate anything. And then she essentially kidnaps him. Let's be real here. <laughs> yes. Everyone in her life and in the world in general is like, you should let him go back to the insane asylum. And instead she's like, I'm actually going to take him to a small village and then the two of us are going to get married. And then I'm going to get pregnant and he's going to become a journalist or just a writer in general, but he gets a job at a newspaper at which point he gets hit by a car and the rare 2X double amnesia combo kicks in. Yes, it does. Where he gets amnesia about his amnesia personality, but remembers his original life as a British gentleman, just in time for his dad to have died and him to inherit an estate and for him to have a weird step cousin fit that's extremely creepy she's not his cousin by blood but by marriage which she says more often than like stepbrother stepsister porn all she ever does is go i'm into you and remember we're not really related those are like her two lines <laughs> <laughs> and she is 15 at this point and then a literal decade passes because she has graduated from college and then some when they get engaged because that's not weird did you have the same experience i did where when she was supposed to be playing 15 i was like you're supposed to be 15 you seem like you're like 26 and then when she was supposed to be playing 26 i'm like you are a 12 year old <laughs> I don't understand what the actress was doing. She was really pushing the crazy eyes, too. Yeah. I think that what she was trying to do when she was playing 15 was hold her eyes open really wide, so she was literally wide-eyed. And that was like, see, I'm young. 
look how wide-eyed I am. And I'm like, that's not what that means, but okay, I guess. Right. And then as she gets older and goes to college and graduates magna cum laude, as she says, she literally says that out loud, she starts just acting like a complete ditz and having no idea how anything works and just going more and more like, oh, it's been so long, I've never met any other boy, I've really got to take you out. It's such a weird, weird performance and such a weird script section, but really it's just to create a love triangle because, meanwhile, Greer Garson has found out who he is because he's now a famous industrialist and gotten a job as his secretary. And for some reason, question mark, can't tell him any of this. They give a reason, but the reason is dumb. The reason is like, well, then he'll get triple amnesia from the trauma. Then his brain will explode. And you're like, (laughs) okay, none of that is how any of that works. But we have to have a plot. Yes. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to not make out right now. So, okay. Kitty, the step daughter cousin weirdo girl sees him staring (laughs) off into space for the 18,000th time and this time she figures out that means he doesn't really love her and breaks off the engagement which is like what the they're at the church to pick hymns for their wedding and he just stares off into space and she comes over and looks at him and goes I've been having second thoughts But now I definitely know because of this. And that's after this weird 10 minute section where Greer Garson has to lie to like 13 attorneys so that she can get a divorce so that he cannot be engaged while married. Not a divorce that he can be declared dead. So that the marriage is dissolved because she's now a widow. Right. But that whole section just exists so that the code can be okay. Right, yeah. It's just so strange. After that, he is approached to join Parliament. (laughs) God, this fucking movie. Like you are. And is immediately elected, and then goes, Hey, Greer Garson, my loyal secretary, would you like to business marry me like one does? (laughs) Obviously, there would be no emotional attachment to this whatsoever. But you can, like, be business married to me for the next five years and slowly lose your mind from being married to your actual husband who doesn't remember you're his actual wife. Yep. That happens, and then he goes back to the small town from the beginning of the movie to solve a labor dispute where I was so relieved to learn he was on the side of the striking workers, I cannot even tell you. (laughs) I thought when it came up and he was like, I've got to go over there and be a businessman. I was like, oh, God, this is going to be a disaster. But then it's an immediate cut to all the striking workers go, we got everything we wanted. And it is because of this one rich guy. And you go, all right, that's nothing, but it's better than the alternative. Yeah. Then he starts to regain his memory because he's in this small town and finds the cottage where they were together at the beginning of the movie and finally remembers her and she calls him her cute pet name for him of Smithy because they gave him the name Smith when he didn't have... John Smith. Yeah. And then they embrace and end of film. Honestly, I liked it okay. You hated it. I hated it because it made me super uncomfortable. So, uh, I mean, first of all... When it begins and there's the whole 
thing with him essentially being kidnapped by her. There's a lot of consent issues I have around kidnapping someone who has escaped from an asylum and giving them a name, then calling them by it, getting married to them, and having their child. Then on top of it, after that happens, and he has his sort of walkabout where he then ends up rediscovering his old self, the whole bit with her being his secretary feels like weird stalking. Oh, also their kid died. He's eventually going to have to hear, hey, so what happened to that kid that we have? Because I noticed since we've been married for business that uh, you don't have a kid. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, so I didn't want to tell you, but our kid died. The whole premise is so ridiculous, but it felt like abuse of someone with a mental health disorder. I really get that. I think I liked it okay because I sort of read the plot summary before I started watching it. And so I went in taking it about as seriously as a story where a guy gets hit by a car and gets double amnesia should be taken, which is to say this whole movie is fucking absurd. And the thing with the kid is so clearly a change from the book for code reasons. Otherwise, he's abandoned his kid for like 20 years, right? None of this is to say the movie is good. I think anything vaguely compelling about this is just Ronald Coleman being inherently compelling and Greer Garson being inherently compelling in a fucking absurd and probably very bad movie by objective standards. But I think I sort of went along for the ride. Apparently, as time goes by, which is a sitcom, I don't fucking know why I know it exists. But apparently there is a bit in it where they mentioned that this is a mangled version of Random Harvest about Lionel being shot in the head every five minutes, which is a pretty good summary of this movie. It's just like they really lean into, what if there's just random tragedies that keep these two people apart that don't make any fucking sense? It's such a soap opera movie that I kind of had fun with how stupid it is. But it is not by any means good. It's just stupid is a real improvement over a lot of the shit we've watched this year. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if I had just thought that it was a really silly piece and hadn't felt all of this discomfort around the issues that I've mentioned, I would feel the same way. It's not even that it's a mess, because as far as the structure of the movie is concerned, it's plotted correctly. It's just that its plot is completely absurd. Yeah, I think that it is not necessarily a mess. When it is kind of a mess, I think it is kind of a mess for code reasons, that there is this very clear, like, he can't be getting remarried. The compelling idea here is, will he betray this family he doesn't know he has? And the movie has to be like, no, that's unacceptable. There cannot be any tension about that. So he doesn't have that family anymore. It doesn't count. Well, then what is any of this? And it's like, I don't know. It's just Ronald Coleman getting hit by a car. (laughs) Once all of the stakes have been removed because the stakes made the Hayes Code people uncomfortable, it just becomes this random ass series of completely implausible things that happen. And in that sense, 
I won't even say it's enjoyable. It just was not like pulling teeth the way that, God, the last week's movie I've already forgotten the name of. Oh, uh, what was it called? Yeah, see, apparently you're not the only one. Wake Island, right? That was, no, Wake Island was the other, Pied Piper. Yes. Also completely forgot Wake Island, apparently. This is just dumb Oscar bait, and I think I don't quite have the energy to hate it. This is not a movie that I'm going to be revisiting for sure, and I don't think it's a movie I will reference very much from now on. This is a dumb soap opera where Ronald Coleman is a adorably befuddled man who keeps getting amnesia. There was a quote by James Agee. Yeah, it's at the bottom of the Wikipedia page. Yeah. I would like to recommend this film to those who can stay interested in Ronald Coleman's amnesia for two hours and who can with pleasure eat a bowl of Yardley shaving soap for breakfast. You know what? Yeah, complete agree. Yeah. I think like... Bosley Crowther said, for all its emotional excess, Random Harvest is a strangely empty film. Miss Garson and Mr. Coleman are charming. They act perfectly, but they never seem real. I think that utter slightness is why I have a a higher opinion of this film than you do, which is not a very high opinion. This film takes amnesia about as seriously as the Fast and Furious movies do. I cannot believe that this movie was ranked in 2002, number 36 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Passions list, above Titanic, It Happened One Night, Philadelphia Story? Insane. Uh, Like, what? A Star is Born. Oh, but that's the 54 one, so it's even more insane. Oh, Sleepless in Seattle? Yeah. Let's just list all... I swear to God, I'm not even joking. Let's just list all of the movies below it on the top 100. That don't make any sense. Because it's amazing. A Streetcar Named Desire. Harold and Maude. Though Harold and Maude does have 69, so that's... Shakespeare in Love, which I like better than other people, but is still, like, that it's on this list is also insane. The Princess Bride is at 88, and this is at fucking 36. Wild misreading of The Graduate at 52. (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) Wild misreading of The Graduate. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I don't agree with that. It seems like this movie has weirdly improved in critical assessment over the years, which is very bizarre to me. I feel like it must be just the two leads, right? Because it's the only vaguely compelling thing about this movie. Oh, sure. They're both great actors. Yes. And Greer Garson is built to tilt her head up at that angle at some dude she adores. You know? Her head was actually made for that. Ronald Coleman actually does stammering befuddled... This plot is ridiculous, and if you take it seriously for a single moment, the first act is a terribly traumatic thing to do to someone that is horrible and immoral and not just ought to be illegal, is illegal. (laughs) 
Yeah, don't kidnap people. Just, you know, it's like a, it's a thing that you should not do. I think just because of the two leads, I do kind of like their romance, despite the plot that they are in. It's one of those things where it's a wonder this movie works on any level at all, and not that it's a great movie despite itself. It's just, wow, when you have that sort of like rock solid core of uh, two good romantic leads with good chemistry... Even the dumbest, worst fucking plot I can imagine still works okay on a functional level just because most of the screen time is spent with them staring at each other. And that works. Yeah, I I guess that's fair. I really didn't like it. But compared to other films in this year, it was not the worst thing that we've watched or the most infuriating. I mean, part of the extreme discomfort and squickiness that I had while watching it the upside of that is i wasn't bored and it's a long movie it's two hours yeah i think a lot of my relative approval of this film comes from watching it immediately after pied piper which at 88 minutes felt like it was four years long oh god it was so terrible but this movie at a little over two hours is long but just when you're getting bored he gets hit by a car and gets double amnesia and it's all like what am i doing in liverpool yeah what are you doing in liverpool it is a vaguely compelling bad movie (laughs) and that after a series of in no way compelling bad movies (laughs) felt like what a joy (laughs) What a joy to watch Ronald Coleman get hit by a car and wake up with double amnesia. (laughs) But it is not a film that I would force on anyone in my life. I definitely didn't stop it and go like, Nikki, come in here. You've got to see this. Uh, Yeah, definitely not that. But yeah, compared to Pied Piper, but that is damning with faint praise. I mean, there's not really much else to talk about in this. No, I mean, it's just an extremely absurd melodrama that has a couple of performances that buoy it up from being an absolute disaster. (laughs) First off, I think we're going to disagree a little bit about the exact grade here, but don't watch this movie. Oh, yeah, no, don't bother. As far as score, um, four... Three, three. I'm going to go with a three. I was going to go with a four, but I, um, I, no, I'm willing to go down to a three because I think you're right that I'm spotting this movie having, (laughs) having a romance based on a literal crime where you are taking a person who has a severe, an, an actual thing he should be in a mental institution to treat. Like, amnesia is... In this movie, it's a fucking joke. Because this movie treats it with just slightly more seriousness than Gilligan's Island. But as an actual thing, a guy who has so much trauma from World War I, he has complete amnesia, should not be kidnapped and given a new name and personality by a woman. That's not a good plan. (laughs) Yeah, it's not okay at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm ready to forget about it forever. But it is the last episode of this year of nominees so we have to pick a winner and see if the academy chose correctly that's a good call we do need to do that i'm gonna go ahead and say that the academy 
did not choose correctly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gotta be Magnificent Ambersons, but like, here's the thing. There isn't a home run pick here. So uh, Magnificent Ambersons is the better film between Mrs. Miniver and Magnificent Ambersons. I'll totally agree with that. It's very beautiful. There's a part of me, though, that's kind of like talk of the town. I mean, I get it. It's absolutely (laughs) top three. I had literally forgotten half of these films. Like, I have to scroll over and see the poster to remind myself. And even half the time then I'm like, King's Row was this year? Oh, yeah. And like, it does not help that the last three months have been eight cosmic eons. Right, there is that. (laughs) But just every single movie in this year is so forgettable. That, like, gun to my head, I don't think I could recall the full plot of Magnificent Ambersons. And it's what may be the most compelling and interesting film in this entire year. I guess I could remember the plot of Wake Island because there is none. They go to Wake Island and the Japanese attack. Yes. There, that's it. The only three movies that are really any damn good at all this year are Talk of the Town, Magnificent Ambersons, and Miss Miniver. And I really didn't particularly enjoy watching any of those, even. Magnificent Ambersons is more interesting than it is good. See, I enjoyed watching Talk of the Town, but I don't think it's as good. But it was the most enjoyable, which I felt like I needed. (laughs) I totally support that. I think this is just my own bias coming through, where the fact that Talk of the Town on paper should not work in some ways supersedes the fact that it does in my brain. That, like, the fact that Talk of the Town is a successful film and is entertaining should not discount the fact that structurally... It's utterly ludicrous. (laughs) It's utterly ludicrous. That's fair. It is utterly ludicrous. But I do think if you made me pick which of these movies to watch again, I would pick Talk of the Town in an instant. That there is nothing else on this list. I have... I guess I have the slightest desire to watch Magnificent Ambersons again, but in an academic context. I don't like, oh boy, I'm so excited to sit down with Magnificent Ambersons again. It's just like, oh, watching it again to sort of watch the way that the studio system tore that movie apart. Like, really watching for that this time could be kind of interesting. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, too. Is Oh, but it was so interesting. But does that make it really the best movie or does it just make it the most interesting movie? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the question of what do we mean when we say what the Academy should have picked? Because there's a level on which if the Academy had any sense, they would have picked Magnificent Ambersons. But if we're just saying the Academy should have picked the best movie, then yeah, it's probably Talk of the Town. Which I don't even think we gave that high of a score. No, because this was a bad year for movies it was actually worse than a bad year it was an incredibly mediocre year like i couldn't even get angry about a whole lot of things yeah this was a slapdash year that's what it was in a way the standard bearer of this year in cinematic history is wake island is like let's speed run making a movie yeah in that sense it's the most 1942 movie (laughs) But definitely is the one that doesn't even stand the screen test of time enough to be a movie. No, it wouldn't have made it to like 1945 in the screen test of time. Yeah. uh... I 
I guess it's... I think I'm going to go with Talk of the Town. I, I think it's the one that, well... <sighs> Can we have a tie? Uh, no. and I think we can agree, though, that the Academy did not choose correctly. Mrs. Miniver is quite good, and it is a workmanlike, well-crafted film. Yeah. In a year of boringly competent movies, it is probably the most boringly competent. So I understand why the Academy chose it, but I think I'm willing to go with Talk of the Town. I think Magnificent Ambersons is maybe a bit more interesting from a 2020 perspective, but I think Talk of the Town is the more enjoyable watch, is the more successful movie, even if there are extenuating circumstances for why Magnificent Ambersons isn't successful. Right. So yeah, Talk of the Town, it is basically just don't watch any movie from 1942. There's no reason to watch any of this. I think we recommended Talk of the Town, and I think in the context of this long stretch, it's the one to watch. But like, I don't know, this upcoming year we get Casablanca, so maybe just skip a year. Yeah, that's true. You don't have to watch something from 1942. So next week we start 1943, which is the last year of 10 nominees for quite some time. Very excited about that. Hell yeah. I'll be more excited when it's over. (laughs) Yeah, it is wild that this project starts in 27. And it's been, what, we're two and a half years into this now? Yeah. We are going to get to 40, like 5, 46 by the end of the year. Then we just do a decade a year, basically, for the next, like, three, four years. Five, I guess. Yeah. We are going to be, this time next year, in the 50s. Yep. I don't know exactly what year. Yeah. So next week we are watching In Which We Serve, which is about, guess. Uh, I feel like maybe a war. Okay, but- I feel- uh, like, I, you know what? I bet it's like, um, I bet it's the Spanish-American War. If I were to guess, 1942 war movie, mm, Franco-Prussian War? Franco-Prussian War. It's about World War II. What? Fuck. That, why did no one think of this before? Why had no one made a film about World War II? But it is written, produced, directed, starring, and with music by Noel Coward. Who boy. Yep. Okay. All right. This is, I guess, Noel Coward's vanity project <laughs> slash propaganda film. A great one-two punch that only ever goes well. <laughs> yeah. So tune in next week to see if it turns out to be as disastrous as all of that would lead us to believe. And until then, 1942, not a lot of movies. Yeah. May you all be hit by cars and get double amnesia about this year in cinema. But otherwise be entirely fine. Yes. May you all be hit by cars is something that I will yell when Susan and I have our inevitable falling out and I say, fuck the fans of this podcast. I'm done. I'm done with all of you. But for now, just forget well, about this. We're going to have an inevitable falling out. Susan, we're going to do this for like 15 years. At some point, I'm going to do a heel turn and turn on all of our fans. It's that I, I don't know why you don't see this coming. I, 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 we're, just, I think better of I, you. And also, I, I am notoriously foolishly optimistic, I guess. 
Uh, yeah. Well, join us next week when we see if that's the week that I come out with a steel chair and declare that I'm with Vince McMahon now. Oh, man. But probably, probably it won't be. I feel like that's probably going to be our twist for like the crash episode. So <laughs> stick with us for a while. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. You are a little overtired, I think. Shall we talk about it in the morning? In the morning, yes. Good night, Margaret. Good night, Charles. <laughs>